sound of um, a zip on from an incident, a big incident, and I won't go into it, but it, it was a big incident was many years ago. And there were quite a few fatalities, and we had to go around zipping up people in, in body bags. And um, it was that sound. It had such an air of finality about it, you know, zip, and that's it. <sighs> yeah. You're listening to the Nightwork pod. I'm Julius Caesar Macquarie, and I'm an anthropologist. Nightwork Pod focuses on night workers and the lives they lead, awake and alert at night whilst the majority sleep. In this episode, I invite two professionals and long-term London residents, a public health practitioner and a firefighter. Two important sectors of work, health and emergency services part of the firefighting industry, rely on professionals working the night shift through rotation. Both guests share with us how night shift work impacts on their circadian rhythms, on their bodies and lives, and the challenges that they face according to the nature of the job that they have performed over the years. Our first guest is George Berry. Currently, George is a public health practitioner running a tuberculosis screening program for newly arrived migrants to London. George manages Open Doors, a clinical case management an outreach service for at-street sex workers in several London boroughs. She will be talking mostly about her experience with Open Doors. In the beginning, this type of work challenged George and her preconceptions on what it means to be a sex worker on the frightening and hostile streets in some parts of London at night. She also shares how over the years she tried to redress the harshness of a global city like London and the policies of social cleansing of the others who cannot afford living in the city. Thank you for agreeing to participate in this uh, Nightwork pod. I'd like you to uh, introduce yourself and uh, say what uh, you do and the kind of work that you uh, have been doing. So I would describe myself, I suppose, as a public health practitioner. I currently run a tuberculosis screening program for new migrant arrivals in London, in Southwark and in Lambeth. Um, but for many years, up until the end of 2016, I was the service manager for Open Doors. Um, Open Doors is a clinical case management and outreach service for sex workers in East London, three boroughs of East London, the city in Hackney, Tower Hamlets, and Newham. I did that job for 13 years, and I took it from a very tiny service where there were three of us part-time to a pretty large service where there were, at one point, up to 16 of us. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were working with sex workers, street sex workers, migrant sex workers, sex workers who worked off-street in brothels and saunas, um, and we were doing numerous pieces of work, really, ostensibly our gateway to, to working with sex workers was through the offer of really high-quality sexual health services, so specialist services where sex workers could go and know that they wouldn't be judged and that they wouldn't be stigmatized. It's a really difficult uh, disclosure to make sometimes to professionals, health professionals and professionals whose support you need that you are a sex worker. People face a lot of judgment and a lot of stigma. Um, so 
we had clinics uh, and we also had teams where we did outreach and we then supported sex workers basically in whatever aspect of social care they needed. So it may be that they were um, suffering problems because they were homeless or that they were suffering problems because of domestic abuse or that they were living with issues of mental health or drug dependency. Um, they may have been experiencing the challenges of being a migrant sex worker, um, which were complex, are complex for sex workers because um, language can be a barrier, not speaking the language, not knowing how British systems work, facing the very obvious discrimination that happens. Um, if you are a migrant person trying to find your way in London, we would be able to support sex workers who needed um, our assistance with any of those issues. So that was the kind of case management element. Uh, and it was a really extraordinary job. Um, in one year, we would work with a, almost two and a half thousand people, mostly female sex workers, uh, some male and some trans sex workers, but mostly female um, large numbers of sex workers from Romania and from Brazil. And then we had our indigenous UK sex work population that we supported through our street outreach programs. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about the way you used to find them or they used to find you. In the beginning, the work that we did was really focused on outreach. So small teams would go out in a car at night to meet women out on the street and they would drive around the streets of the of the boroughs that we worked in in places that we recognized to be street beats um, and that means basically places that sex workers go to sell sex and the other teams would also go out on outreach but they would be to the brothels and to the saunas um, and those were properties that we had known about for a long time or that we would be told about new properties through word of mouth or we would find uh, in the old days through adverts in um, phone boxes through card adverts or at the back of newspapers so we would go out in the car and we would go out in the middle of the night to meet with the street sex workers because that's when street sex workers work. We would always have condoms, we would have hot drinks and we would talk to the sex workers, many of whom we would have known for a long time but always some of whom would be new to our service about the work that we could do, about the support that we could offer and we would encourage them to come and see us in our drop-in and that's how we would make contact. Sometimes sex workers would come to the car and bring friends or new people that they had just met working on the street. With our off-street work, we were able to offer the option to come to the drop-in if the sex workers wanted to do that, but many of the off-street sex workers tended not to want to do that, not least because their lives were very nocturnal and Getting up and coming to a drop-in would have been quite a difficult thing to do, but we would meet with them at our office and we would work with them and support them in terms of any case management needs that they had. Thank you. So I'm, I have next two questions that are related. What was it surprising about working with this group of people? But more importantly, what was it surprising about working at night? Maybe the... There were, well, there were many things that surprised me over the years. Many 
phenomena that I I saw that challenged my preconceptions about what it meant to be a sex worker. I was really surprised at the fraternity, the community that there was on the street. I was so aware of how frightening and hostile the streets could be, particularly for women. I was overwhelmed by I thought that the women would immediately take up offers of assistance and support which would mean that they would potentially move away from street sex work fairly quickly. My job has never been to insist that people move away from selling sex but for me definitely seeing how some of the street sex workers worked it felt so dangerous and so desperate and what I realized was that that transition away from the street is a really difficult thing to do. In 2013 Open Doors published findings of a needs assessment conducted with street sex workers in the London borough of Newham between February and April 2013. An actress will dub the story that was included in this report. It is based on a real-life experience of a street sex worker from Romania who earned her bread and butter through sex working on one of the streets in Newham borough of London at night. This story is called I am a mother of three year old and I do sex work. I used to sell sex in a massage parlor and uh, they would end up taking all my money. On a good day I make about 700 but I only get to keep 100. So I thought I should leave and work for myself on the streets. Last night around 10.30 I was sitting on the steps where I usually wait for clients opposite to a bus stop. A man got out of the bus, he smiled at me, and he passed by. Around midnight, the same man comes back and he asks me, what am I doing sitting here alone? And I'm telling him I'm working. He asked how much I charge and if I want to go with him. So I told him how much I charge for 20 minutes, and then I would do it only with a condom. He agrees, so we went towards the alley behind the main road. We went to the back of this alley, and on on this back garden fence of the house and uh, I was with my back to the fence and he was with in front of me with his back to the road and I couldn't see his face because of the darkness and he, the hat he was wearing and at first he lit a cigarette pretending to look for the money and then I asked him to pay me for the second time before I did anything and he was pretending he would get the money from this coat, but instead he take out a kitchen knife and put it in my throat and says, go down on me and make me happy without a condom. And I felt my body got cold and I froze and all I could say was, please, please, why? In the meantime, a hand stretched out of nowhere. It passed by my head, aiming towards his arm holding the knife and then I found my body being pushed forward and by the time I realized what was happening the fence had already fallen onto my back pressing me to lean towards him and then the attacker ran with his knife and I ran too and as I reached the car park nearby the man in it asked me if I was all right and I think that a man saw everything
the woman told the story to her outreach worker on the day after the event. She's telling him the story in a crowded overground train which was taking the two to the hospital where she was due for her checkup. She seemed undisturbed by what has happened and said to her outreach worker that such events happen regularly. It wasn't the first and it won't be the last time. When you are living and surviving on the street, you build up a network and a fraternity and um, a group of people that support you and maybe don't always support you well, but a group of people that you know and a way of living that you understand. And um, yeah, I, that I, could, I, I learned, I, I began to learn that there was a real strength and a support around that for a lot of the women and that that was what often made it hard to come off the street because to come off the street meant that they would lose touch with that street community you know often people who were real scallies you know drug dealers and um people who were up to all sorts of mischief but to come away from that to come out of that meant that you didn't have that the women wouldn't have that identity anymore and that was really hard for them to move away. So that was a real surprise for me. Another surprise for me, I think, when I worked with the off-street women was how how strong they were, how tough they were, how much responsibility they had. For many of the migrant women, um, selling sex and earning money was about really sending the majority of that money home. You know, London is a really expensive city to live in. They had their outgoings to spend here, but they really needed to, and the expectation was that they, they would send money back to family. And that was their responsibility. And uh, I learned a lot about how the women were really prepared to step up to that responsibility and often face really dangerous work environments and boring work environments or work environments that you know that they didn't particularly what they were they didn't like that much but I also talked to women who had come to the UK originally to perhaps work as a waitress or to work in food packing or flower packing and picking and who'd gone this is just never going to pay me enough money I'm never going to be able to send the kind of money home that my family needs so that's why I'm going to get involved in sex work and a real sense of duty and loyalty and pride that they were able to support family so I think that was a, a really interesting surprise for me Thank you What do you um, think in a few words uh, about the nocturnal city about London uh, as this um, city that never sleeps on the backdrop of your experience of working with these people that you've just been describing? So London is increasingly the city that never sleeps. I remember moving to London and actually it did used to sleep at about two o'clock. When was that? Oh, I moved to London in 99 and I used to come up to London a lot before that and I remember thinking, actually, London does go to sleep. You know, things do... They, they do get quiet. But then when I started working in uh, for the NHS and I started doing the work, particularly the nighttime work and working with, with sex workers, we would do outreach. We would trial outreach at lots of different times in the night, you know, sometimes between 10 and 2 in the mornings would do because they didn't have anywhere to sleep. And so what they would do is they would be out and they would sex work and then 
when the morning would come, when it would be eight or nine o'clock, they would find a place. And that could be perhaps with somebody that, that had bought sex from them, with somebody that they were going to buy drugs from, with another friend somewhere, in a stairwell somewhere. It really depended on their circumstances. And, you know, because London is hard and tough and it's got harder and tougher and there are fewer and fewer resources out there, you know that probably when the light comes up, the place that many of the street homeless sex workers will go to will be, you know, stairwells of blocks of flats, bin areas, wherever they can find a place to lay their head. On reflection, this long service, long years of, of, of uh, working with marginalised people, what do you think that this, this uh, experience of yours turned up to be like? Was it any different than what you imagined before you endeavoured to stand by these, these, these people, these ignored people, as I often refer to the, the people at night as invisible lives, invisible people that we just don't think so often as being up and working in the nocturnal city? I think, for me, it was a real privilege. I've had a window into a, a world that not many people ever have um, a view on. And um, I saw an awful lot of desperation. I still see that desperation in London. And I think it really depends what you're in this city for. Some people are here to make their millions and some people are here... Some people are here because, you know, it is this amazing historic place. But I came to East London and I was really embraced by East London. And I really wanted to find and understand how I could be of assistance to a community in East London. And because of my colleagues, most of whom were from East London, um, and because of the work that we were all able to do together... I think that we really did make a profound difference to a lot of people's lives. And for me, that's been the reason to be in London. It's harder and harder to do that. The purpose of which I truly believe is to enact social cleansing, it's to push people out of London that cannot afford to be here, that cannot be here without some assistance. And, you know, we really see the, 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 the social policy playing out. We are seeing such cuts to the NHS and to homeless and housing services and to drug and alcohol services and to mental health services. And so actually, the people, the ghost people that you see on the streets are, are increasing in number, but the things that can be offered to them are, are the support that can be offered is, is less and less. I try in London to redress the harshness of this city by being a human being and offering human support and I think that's the only way that I could be in this city and keep my sanity really. Our second guest is Phil Horsley. Phil started working for the London Ambulance Service at first, but after two years he decided to become a firefighter and has served since with the London Fire Brigade for 29 years. He worked shifts for over 30 years and the shift rota included night shift work, which is at the core of this podcast. 
Hello, Phil. You okay, mate? Yes, yes. Um, I'm really uh, grateful that you agreed to come on the Nightwork pod. And I would like to uh, ask you to introduce yourself. So my name's Phil and I'm a firefighter for 29 years now. I did a couple of years in the ambulance service. So basically it's kind of over 30 years of, of working shifts, including night shifts, which of course is your interest. And the nature of my job has always been, over those years, what we call first responder. So I'm, you know, 999, Bosch, I turn up. And of course, I'm, I'm not exclusively a night worker. I also work day shifts every week. And so I chop and change between days and nights and so different rhythms. And, and, and the way I often describe it is like feeling jet lag. That's how I think I, I often describe to people what it feels like to work this shift system. But the point I'm trying to make is, personally anyway, I've never really got used to it and it doesn't really get any easier the older you get. You mentioned about the, the difference in the way you experience night shifts or rather not getting used to uh, doing night shifts. Can you talk a little bit about that? For me, I'm chopping and changing and my rhythm is such that when I finish my last night shift, I stay awake during the whole of the next day so that I can then go to bed on my first night off. Does that make sense? So, because if I just came home and went to bed, that meant all my sort of time off. I should explain I work sort of four on, four off. So it's two days, then two nights, then four off. I mean, we say it's four off, but we've worked on the first day off. It's like an eight day cycle. So the first day off, we work obviously from like midnight to 9.30 in the morning, so it's not really a day off. So it's more really, like a lot of people prefer the expression five on, three off. You know, it would make more sense, really. It used to be the three eights. So the 24-hour cycle of the day was um, divided up into three eight-hour shifts. So you had days, middles and nights. And that was quite hard, but then obviously I was a lot, lot, lot younger then. And, uh, you know, as I say, things didn't really affect you when you're young. When you say about affecting, in, in, in what ways? What, what are you thinking here? Can you tell our listeners in, in uh, which ways? Is it mentally? Is it physically? Yeah, it's, it's mentally. It's kind of you tune out, be kind of irritable, I guess. You know, if it's the middle of January or the middle of February in this country, you know, it can be quite bleak the weather you know if you work shifts you're much more prone to depression through i don't know if it's the tiredness or as i say this feeling of jet lag your family man right yeah i'm a family man i have two sons and they're both grown up now and again you know it's very easy to kind of dwell you know, my job can be very kind of physically demanding as well as the mental part, but it's very easy to dwell sometimes maybe on the negative aspects of working shifts, but one of the positive things is that, you know, I'm around a lot during the day, so I was able to be sort of quite involved with my son's upbringing and I would be able to go to the school to pick them up before I went to take them in the mornings on my off-duty days. You know, you can sort of offset that and balance that off with, of course, I work weekends. That's the other antisocial part. It's not just times of the day, but the times of the week. You know, there's there's a lot of times when, conversely, I'm, I'm not with them for important things. Sometimes things to do with the school, 
parents' evenings or award ceremonies. You know, I have to be there. I can't, you know, and you have to plan your leave accordingly. Emergency cover has to be the priority. It's my job. It is what I'm paid to do. So there are times when, unfortunately, you know, I can't, I couldn't be. It's a bit sort of swings and roundabout. For the last 32 years, I haven't known anything else. And as you know from all the other people that you've been talking about, when you're working shifts, it's so much more kind of of an investment in your life. But your job becomes so much more like your lifestyle and influencing your lifestyle because you're not kind of around when you know, maybe the majority of other people are around. What was most surprising for you being up at night and working? It's a funny feeling, really. And again, it may be the uniqueness of my experience When someone sort of dials 999, it's, it's kind of quite desperate times, you know, it, it's life or death. And when you turn up, you're kind of very suddenly flung into this very high octane heart rate. You know, the expectation on you when you turn up, people think, oh, great, the ambulance is here. Oh, great, the fire brigade are here. Everything's going to be fine now. You know, it's this real naught to 100 mile an hour kind of rush mixed up with expectation and does that make sense yes is that different than than responding to call in the day yes there is an expectation when we get called in the night because there are so few people around and someone has called us that you know you never you never actually know until you turn up what you're going to get but it's more likely at night because people are asleep and people are effectively defenseless particularly if they don't have so when the bells do go down we say the bells go down when we are called in the night there have been times when i've gone like that like i said like naught to 100 in a split second and you can sometimes feel physically sick you know some people can actually like levitate because the shock of of the alert is so great that you just have this kind of spasm because some people will maybe rib us and jive us and say oh firefighters you you can sleep all through the night if you want between midnight and six o'clock in the morning we are allowed to rest i've always said it's not like real sleep it really really isn't you can rest with one eye open how would you say that this service that you have done has turned out to be from what you imagined that it will be when you have started. Does it make sense for us? Yeah, it makes sense. And I don't know, I don't think I thought about the future very much. I was quite young when I started the job. It's all I ever wanted to do. You know, I grew up behind a fire station, playing sports in the yard, and it's just that was it. That was all I was ever going to do. And... 30 years is a relatively short space of time. So some changes have been detrimental, um, I believe, around pay and there's much more care around employees' health and safety. Our lifespan is is much increased in line with the rest of the population, but that is uh, pays tribute to, that is a result of having much better breathing apparatus, having much better protective equipment. We know about cyanide gas, we know about um, all these th th hazards more efficiently. Our shifts by and large have stayed the same, but they've changed a little bit. It's become a little less 
family friendly. But when the fire service was the fire service act and the pensions and all that came in after the Second World War, firefighters retire. And you know, I know firefighters that retired again in their fifties. They're now in their eighties. They've been retired longer than they were firefighters. You know, they've retired longer than they were. Than they were working. You know, you've been a, a firefighter and a London resident for uh, all these years. Could you describe through your eyes how London has changed at night over these three decades? It's the same. I'm what 52 now, and I've lived in London, born in London, lived in London all my life, and you know, you've seen yourself, and like a lot of big cities, it wasn't place to kind of live in it, it was a place to commute to and work in and now the whole thing of you know pubs always used to close at 10 30 11 o'clock in england in general for example people would come to for food you know it was just like it was a land of warm flat beer and cold chips and and now you know it's just just seeing that just the kind of the nightlife around eating out dining out the night economy um, I mean, I, we, I, with my parents, we never ate out. I mean, it just wasn't something we did. You see, on a Wednesday night, even just people out. It, we used to go to other cities, you know, when I was younger, you know, in Europe or whatever, and see sort of Parisian cafe culture, or you know, you go to America, you go to New York, and the city that never sleeps. And I just see London becoming more and more like that, really, much more of a night economy much more of um it is in terms of entertainment in terms of the, just seems to be so many more people around and um i think it's better for it there are some downsides to it but, you know with gentrification it's become a lot more expensive to live here how do you think it affected your work when you think of the changes and the shift into what you think it is today and I think it is a city that never sleeps. Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, I just think on a sort of kind of practical sort of level, it, you know, whereas before you could really drive around London at night and it was almost a, a pleasure. I mean, when I first started driving in the early 1980s, people used to say, do you want to go out for a drive? You know, would you just like to go out for a drive? I mean, now it's something fun to do. And now if you said to someone, did you want to go out for a drive? I say, are you mad? You know, you've, you know, you've seen the price of petrol, the congestion, the congestion charge, road rage. And I just think at night, there's so much more traffic, you know, on the road. And, and I think, again, just anecdotally, I don't have any, but I think it does affect, you know, response times. You, you're not able to just zip about on empty streets and empty roads like you used to you know it, it's uh sometimes you know traffic jams and again I'd, the amount of i think kind of doing road works and stuff are more likely to do these things at night now because of the chaos so i see a lot more kind of road works and, and building works even taking place at night because it's much more convenient to do it then and i was just saying to someone the other day again the first station i went to when i first started working Nearly all, I mean, all, pretty much all of my colleagues, they were male and, um, and um, were married. And almost none of them really, their wife did their wife's work. Now, not only does like everyone's wife work, I mean, quite a lot of, you know, the, the wives are earning more in the last 
30 years, it's been one of the big changes that I've noticed. For people who work at night and listeners of the Nightwork pod, what would you say? I hope that, you know, I, I know from having spoken to you and it's transparent when, you know, your kind of mission is to really get the night workers' voices out there and, and heard. And I'm, while they're listening, and maybe I'm preaching to the converted, the night is some of the most critical, important workers. And when you're working shifts, and particularly a lot of the people that you interview are working just night, it's such a great kind of a sacrifice, you know, of a, of a kind of a normal life. And quite often these people are paid just like really just not worth you know, what it is that they do and the contribution they make to the nighttime economy, to the running of this city. And they're so kind of hidden and their problems are all so kind of hidden. And I know, you know, just really kind of pay some, pay some mind. I'm sure they already do, but... You know, the night porter in the fruit and veg market that's getting, or the driver that's getting the food to the supermarket. For you, it's so, it's such a critical, important uh, part of the, the running of, of this great city. And it's really kind of, they're asleep at home and, and, and we can work and we can function and we run in this city because of these people kind of, so I don't sacrifice a bit of a dramatic word, they're kind of really putting themselves out, as I say, for, for very little kind of reward quite often. And, and um, leave it at that and I'll say thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you listening. And thank you, Chazar, for everything that you're doing in Thanks. this endeavour. I will end this series with one more episode when we invite Marion Roberts, Emeritus Professor in Urban Design at the University of Westminster, whose specialist interests are the nighttime city and the gender-related topics in urban design. Well, one thing I think that, well, it's kind of plus and minus that's been really good. My, I, my passion is film, and I really like the way that there's been an increase in the number of art house cinemas the picture house chain and the Curzon chain um, across London is terrific. Um, The shame is they're not paying their workers properly and so there's still an ongoing dispute which has been going on for the last 18 months at picture house but otherwise that has been so positive for me as a person. You've been listening to Night Work Pod, a podcast about working the night shift. Night Work Pod is produced by me, Julius Caesar Macquarie. I created Nightwork Pod between London and Budapest. The first two episodes were produced with the support of Center for Media, Data and Society at Central European University in Budapest. If you like what you heard, there are a few ways that you can help me out. First, tell all of your friends in real and digital form, journal or nocturnal, about this show. Read the text that comes with this episode on podcast.cu.edu where Nightwork Pod episodes are hosted. Review the show on iTunes, and you can also donate to support the show production via my website, lightsparkscreatives.myportfolio.com. You can also contact me at Nightsparks Lab Facebook page. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed the second episode. Tweet the word and tune in for the third episode coming soon.